Hello, everyone. I'm Debbie Batat, the CEO and founder of Surge, and this is Surge the Podcast, a podcast spotlighting plastic and reconstructive surgeons and aesthetic practitioners who have truly changed the medical landscape. We are talking about the journey of their incredible careers, how they built their practices, their views on creating an outstanding patient experience, and their perspectives on the latest topics and techniques in the aesthetics industry. And now we are thrilled to welcome you to Season 1, Episode 6 of Surge, the podcast. Today's guest is Mr. Mark Pacifico, an aesthetic consultant, plastic surgeon, based in the United Kingdom and the director of the aesthetic clinic Purity Bridge alongside his busy private surgical practice. Mr. Pacifico is active both on the council and as a member of numerous plastic surgery societies, including the British Association of Aesthetic Plastic Surgeons, the British Association of Plastic Reconstructive and Aesthetic Surgeons, and the International Society of Aesthetic Plastic Surgery. He has published over 50 international peer-reviewed papers and is an active educator at various conferences around the world. Today's episode is all about mastering the virtual consultation. With most of the world currently under some form of quarantine or social distancing, consultations for many medical procedures are being conducted remotely. How does one maintain quality, trust, and the desired physician-patient rapport in a virtual environment? Mr. Pacifico shares his tips, tricks, and best practices to conducting the optimal virtual consultation for aesthetic procedures. So, Mr. Pacifico, welcome to our podcast. Hi, Debbie. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So before we jump into our main topic, please tell us when and why you decided to become a plastic surgeon. Well, I was one of those children who always knew they wanted to be a doctor. And as well as being fascinated by medicine, I've always loved drawing, loved art. Um, And at medical school, I was lucky enough to have uh, a chance to spend time with the plastic surgeons at my hospital. And it really confirmed that it combined the two great interests of mine, both medicine or, or surgery to be specific, and, uh, and art. Um, and, it, and particularly when I saw what a difference it could make to people's lives, it really seemed right, like the right niche, the like, right specialty for me, and, and it's, so it's proved to be. And now we are in a, in a period where most of us are under lockdown. So how are you and how is your practice coping with the current COVID-19 situation? Well, these are clearly very challenging times for all of us. Um, My practice is effectively closed to seeing patients, apart from the odd patient who might require some dressings or wound care. Um, There are tremendous business challenges, of course, and every country is having to deal with those in its own way. Um, But on the flip side, I have been able to get into some projects that have been on the back burner for a long time, uh, writing papers, I've managed to finish a book chapter, uh, taking video clips, all the sorts of things that one never normally has a chance to mm. do. Um, and I, I also, despite the practice officially being closed in terms of in-person consultations, I'm very keen to ensure my patients know that whilst they can't see me, I'm, I'm not close. 
And that's where modern technology has really come into its own, both from a communication and mail shotting to patients, but also video consults, which have been a fantastic opportunity to both keep in touch with past patients as well as uh, new patients. So you mentioned about uh, opportunities with technology. So can you speak about which ones for you have been the most reliable? Is there any special tool that you're using that has proved to be most effective? Um, It's interesting. It's a very good question because there are many platforms out there. Now, the software management uh, system that I use for my practice have had a project in the on the back burner effectively which was to start up video consultations and they um, pushed it through um, very urgently with the lockdown so i'm fortunate that i have an encrypted platform that i can use which is part of the software system now because it's pushed through it's not without its glitches and occasionally there are people who can't uh, click on the link and have those usual sort of technological challenges but on the whole, it works very well. I have used Skype and Zoom, but I do have some concerns with the issues that have been raised about security. And if ever I use them, I do get at least verbal consent from my patient that I'm speaking to that they are comfortable with us talking on that platform and they appreciate that I can't guarantee their online security. But I certainly have found both Skype and Zoom to be very helpful. How are you able to maintain the rapport and the, the intimacy of a of a regular consultation? I think, yeah, I think that's a really, really good question. And it's a very challenging one. I think I view any online consultation in the same way as I'd view an in-person consultation. So um, in terms of how I present myself in terms of the environment. So I come into my office. I don't do it from home. Um, I'm in my consulting room, so my past patients will probably recognize where I'm sitting, uh, and new patients will recognize it when they can finally come and see me in the future. Um, I think it's important to inform patients of certain aspects. Uh, I want to ensure they know that it's a secure platform we're talking on. I want them to know that they'll, they should be in a private space so they feel confident and secure as well. And I've, I've sort of put together some, some do's and don'ts that I would uh, sort of commend to anyone if they haven't done this. And perhaps now's the time I can, I can just talk to you about those. Please. Um, so in terms of my, my do's, what I would recommend is I would consider what you're wearing. Personally, I do think it's uh, a time to be as professional as we would be in our normal practice and therefore wear something similar because that can set a tone for the patient. I think we need to consider what's in the background. And again, that perhaps for me comes down to one of the reasons I want to do it in my clinic, in my office. Uh, we need to ensure privacy. It should be like a normal consultation, so minimize noise and disturbances. Um, I don't like patients to get undressed in front of the camera. So I do ask them if they could send photographs in of any area that we're going to talk about. But again, only if they're comfortable doing so. I do think it's also useful to consider any added value IT. And that the obvious one for me is 3D simulation software, which I might be able to use for someone consulting about breast surgery, for example. And, of course, Mm -hmm. it's important that we take formal notes, and uh, we've already talked about the IT platform and and making sure we're on an appropriate IT platform. So 
in terms of what I what my don'ts are or what I suggest people don't do, I don't recommend you ask your patient to strip in front of the camera. I think that can come across a little bit unprofessional and perhaps even even seedy in uh, some aspects. I think some patients will insist on showing you things, and that can't be helped. But I think that if you frame and control the consultation in a way, um, it can put the patient very much at ease. And I think it can also make the patient feel uh, a sense of your professionalism as well. Uh, personally, I don't drink cups of coffee or cups of tea during my video consult because I wouldn't do that when I'm with a patient in, 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 in person. I certainly wouldn't get distracted by emails and messages because inevitably if we're on our laptop or iPad, you'll see pop-up messages coming through and it's easy if you're not concentrating to get distracted, but you're on camera and that's uh, something we should be very conscious of. I also don't... Uh, book anyone straight in for surgery without at least an in-person consultation planned for the future in the diary. Um, and that, my last two points, um, one is not uh, to expect to cover everything in one session. And, um, and, and the other is not to make any promises because after all, we are somewhat speculative when we can't examine the person in patient, the patient in person. So it's important to point that out to the patient and say, these are my initial thoughts rather than this is what I commit. To. Mm. You know, it's, it's very interesting because I, as you go through the do's and don'ts, I feel that these are useful tips for any kind of even business meeting. And it's all about creating respect for the person who's there also respect for yourself and uh, having a professional environment. What do you find that, number one, how has this affected the time, if at all, of the consultation? Well, that's interesting. I, I initially expected everything to happen much more rapidly. And sure, there are some short consultations, particularly some of the longer-term follow-ups, which is really checking everything's okay no other um, final questions before discharge. But some of the new consultations and, and some of the, the second consultations have proved to be quite lengthy. And whether it's because the person, the other end, feels more relaxed and less conscious of a time frame for their consultation, or whether it's because genuinely we go into a lot more debt, it's certainly um, proven to be uh, as in-depth and perhaps time-consuming for some consultations as an in-person consultation. And I don't think mm. it's a bad thing necessarily as long as you have the time and you can structure that because it's, uh, it's beholden on all of us to, to make sure we properly inform and discuss all the issues with our patients in any form of consultation. And I kind of think that if I'm spending the time now when there perhaps is a bit more time, when it comes to that in-person consultation, it's going to be a much more efficient consultation. We'll get right down to the nuts and bolts of things, straight, almost straight to the examination part because we've done all the talking. And hopefully it's information rather than changing plans significantly. So apart from the, the obvious lack of you know, physical proximity to the patient, what are some of the other challenges that you find with a virtual consultation? And on the flip side, what are some of the opportunities, so, if any? Yeah, as, as we've talked about, and as you just mentioned, it, the inability to examine my patients is the, 
biggest problem. So we need a lot of flexibility without making those promises. I think quite an interesting aspect is the fact that we're doing this via webcams, which are not directly in our line of sight. So we tend, when we're doing virtual consultations or speaking to people through screens, we tend to look at the screen, hopefully at them, but occasionally at our own image. And um, what that means is neither person is actually maintaining or giving eye contact to the other person. So I've become very conscious of that, and I try whenever I can to spend some time looking into the webcam, which of course means I can't look at uh, their response as directly, but I hope that gives some sort of sense to the other person that I'm looking more at them rather than maybe over their shoulder. So I think that's quite an interesting concept as a challenge. And also body language in itself. So particularly with new patients who are new to me, new to the practice, I think having a little bit of distance between me and the webcam, so more of my upper body is exposed, so my hand gestures and my uh, expressions are more easily seen, I, I imagine or I hope is something that will help me come across as a little bit more uh, human, a bit more genuine, rather than too much of a close-up facial um, mm. shot of me, which probably hides a lot of important signaling as well. So do you find that the number of procedures may return quite quickly to to what it was before? What do you think is the outlook for, let's say, the next three months? Where do you see things going? I think that's very country dependent. And I think it's uh, interesting how rapidly some countries are opening uh, elective and non-essential businesses, of which, of course, we are one. Um, there are concerns, particularly with general anaesthetic or invasive anesthesia, so that's patients who are intubated, um, whether that could cause some adverse outcomes. Um, and for most of us in most countries, the decision-making will in part be out of our hands. It will be in the hands of our local or national regulations and guidelines. Um, as plastic surgeons, it's going to be a tough challenge with the aesthetic patients because of the uh, justification for surgery. I think consent processes are going to have to be incredibly robust. I think what's quite interesting, one of the uh, topics I've had a few discussions with my anaesthetists or anesthesiologists about is what, how many of our procedures that we would normally do under general anaesthetic, we could convert to sedation with local anaesthetic. Mm. So tummy tucks may be done under spinal anesthesia, breast surgery under um, direct local anesthesia or nerve blocks with sedation. So there is a lot of scope. And this, again, might well change practice for the future forevermore, even in the future post-COVID uh, uh, life that we'll, we'll come back into in due course. That's very interesting. If somebody's having a virtual consultation, so what are the next steps? As nobody really knows when we're going to be back to non-essential medical procedures. Right. So how do you plan your future with the patients? So the key is to have a future and never let anyone sort of go without a follow-up plan. So what I'm tending to do, so in the UK, we I suspect I'm not going to be seeing anyone in person until June at the earliest. So I'm making sure I have a second virtual consultation with them uh, a week or two after the first. So that keeps uh, the sort of 
keeps everything at the forefront of their mind and my mind with them. Um, and then once I've had that, I will be penciling them in for an in-person consultation in June. So we, uh, w- which of course is potentially something that will have to be changed or moved, which they acknowledge. But I don't want anyone to feel just uh, that they're then on a list that is indefinite and uncertain. Um, on, uh, having said that, there are a lot of patients that I have uh, had to cancel from surgery uh, when lockdown began. So they are effectively on a list, but I'm trying to keep in touch with them and email periodically uh, generic emails that will go to most people just to keep them abreast of current situation and really, again, just to let them know I'm here. How do you think that it, it might look like even one year down the line? Is there anything that you'd like to keep? Do you think that virtual consultations are here to stay in a larger scope than before? Yeah, uh, definitely, without doubt. And I think the public, have, having been through this, will, it will not be so unfamiliar to them. So I certainly, as I mentioned earlier, I think in a way that first consultation can be some sort of almost screening consultation for some patients because we'll all have people who will come to see us and then decide not to go ahead for a variety of reasons or perhaps go ahead with another surgeon and this uh, ability to perhaps make that first step a little bit easier and maybe the administration a little bit less onerous is going to be very beneficial because of course for every patient who comes into the practice a receptionist is needed maybe a nurse is needed and you know others are needed whereas for a virtual consultation you don't need other staff. So it could be that business efficiency and planning becomes uh, much more, much improved as a result of this. I've noticed that you're quite active on social media. And in your posts, you talk a lot about maintaining a good patient rapport and the communication and you use social media. How effective has it been for you in keeping in touch with people and what has been the overall effect or outcome of your use of social media, especially during this time? Yeah, I think social media is becoming crucial. I I use the uh, analogy of a a stepping stone before and that social media is probably the smallest stepping stone a patient has to make to make contact with a surgeon or a physician of any sort. It serves as a, a real informal link for patients. And I think it it does several things. It can act as a shop window, and the impression one gives is up to us. It's whether we're having that as a more commercial, salesy approach or a more educational, more entertainment approach. That, that's very personal. But I think it certainly allows that um, patients to feel like they're getting to know you um, and having some... Uh, I prefer perhaps not being in front of the camera so often, but I do recognize that being in front of the camera and talking to the camera about things that are happening is really important because it does help people feel they get to know you. I guess in the same way that we all feel like we know certain well-known actors, film stars, sportsmen, uh, when we don't actually know them, uh, it, it does serve to break down certain social barriers. So that being said, do you still find that most of the people who come to you come from word of mouth or through social media or split between the two? It's becoming more split between the two. And what's interesting is word of mouth is very much uh, online 
as it is direct word of mouth. So I uh, know of patients who almost got in, well, have got in touch with other patients of mine through social media connections to then have that recommendation. Anything else that you'd like to include about the virtual consultation or even how to maintain um, a good profile on their social media at this time, a way to maintain good communication and, and rapport with their patients? Anything else that we didn't cover? I, th I think the one thing I'd say is be be real, true to yourself, and don't try to be anything you're not. And I think, um, in a way, one of the things I particularly like about social media and what it offers, it's um, a, a, a more amateur or unpolished way of presenting videos and patient education because it feels a lot more real than a, a glossy, highly edited um, professional um, film or, or film clip. So I, I think that comes across uh, as intended to the patients in a, in a very good way. So people usually appreciate authenticity is what you're trying to say. Without doubt. And, and therefore they feel yeah. that they're getting, they're getting to know the real you. And when they come to meet you in practice, they feel like they've already met you before. Yes. That's true. So, um, Mr. Pacifico, we would like to ask you now some rapid-fire questions, which we ask all of the guests of our show, uh, just to know you better. In your field of work, who was a great inspiration for you and why? Um, I will name Graham Southwick in Melbourne, who I spent six months with doing my aesthetic fellowship. And it he and the practice opened my eyes in a whole variety of ways, um, showing me how it could be done differently in every aspect of plastic surgery, both clinically and business-wise and um, non-clinically. Um, and he has always been a sound mentor and uh, full of sage wisdom and advice ever since. If you could recommend one guest to be on this show next, who would it be? Well, if you couldn't get Graham, then maybe someone <laughs> from the UK. Uh, I've been talking a lot recently to my friend and my part of the um, uh, consultant, uh, Patrick Malucci, who's well known to many people uh, in plastic surgery. I was his resident many years ago, and uh, we've been talking about some ideas, and I think he'd probably be a, a good guest to, uh, to chat to. Okay. What would you do if you were not a plastic surgeon? Well, it would have to be something to do with art, I think. Uh, whether it was, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe I would illustrate graphic novels. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. What was the most pivotal moment in your career? So for me, I think I possibly always had lots of... Uh, I don't know about self-doubt, but um, uh, uh, humility maybe as well. But I was lucky enough to be awarded the gold medal in my final uh, exams at the end of my residency, which is awarded not every year, but some years to uh, candidates who achieve a certain um, standard. So being awarded the gold medal in the UK for my FLCS Plus really gave me a confidence boost uh, about my ability that uh, perhaps I uh, wasn't quite uh, as sure about beforehand. Hmm. 
what would be then the most useful tip that you've learned during your career, which you think would help others? Well, I think I would say don't ever be afraid to stick your head above the parapet um, and to say something that's perhaps not in keeping with others around you if you believe you're doing the right thing by yourself and by your patients. Because we all find it much easier to stick with a herd mentality and uh, do what all our peers are doing. But there are times when we may recognize or feel that that's not necessarily the right thing to do. Mm. I think uh, it takes courage, but no one should ever shirk from doing that because it might be that other people recognize what you're doing and uh, you are able to change the course of the ship. True in medicine and in life. And finally, where do you see yourself in the next 10 years? <laughs> Still working on the job, but hopefully not <laughs> uh, as I currently do. But I think I'll still be in practice. I would like to um, perhaps uh, continue uh, a lot of speaking engagements and, and publishing and really just continue to develop uh, my practice and my, surg my surgery. That's wonderful. And we wish you the best of luck in the next 10 years. And Mr. Pacifico, these are all the questions that we have. Thank you so much for your time with us today. It's been wonderful to have you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. That was Mr. Mark Pacifico from Tunbridge Wells, United Kingdom. For more inspiring interviews with experts like him, subscribe to our podcast, Surge the Podcast. If you're happy with what you heard, please spread the word on your socials and don't forget to rate us. It makes such a difference. If you want to be in touch, please send us an email at info at That's I-N-F-O at S-U-R-G-E dot I-S. Thank you for listening. <laughs>